My name's John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. I want to thank you for joining us today on Peace by Believing. And on this program, we're going to be thinking about the importance of our testimony. Now, by testimony, I simply mean your story of when you came to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. The fact is, if you're a Christian, if you've been saved, you have a testimony. And those of us who are saved, we need to share our testimonies with others. We need to share with others the difference that Jesus Christ has made in our lives. Also know today that others will be listening to the program who don't yet have a testimony. There's not been a time in your life, or if there has, you're not real clear about it, when Jesus Christ has come to live in your heart. And so it may be today that through this program, you establish your testimony, or you clarify your testimony, or you make 100% sure that you have a testimony that Jesus Christ is living in your heart. And so whether you're saved or not yet saved, I'm praying that this program will be a blessing to you, and that when it's over with, we'll all know a little more about what our testimony should sound like. If you'll open your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts, chapter number 26, the title of the message today, Do You Have a Testimony? Do you have a testimony? Now, your testimony, of course, is unique to you. It is your personal story of how you came to know Jesus Christ uh, in a personal way, how Jesus Christ came to live into your live in your life and to change your life. And so we're thinking today about our testimony. Now, in our Bible study, we're going to be looking about the, the te- at the testimony of the Apostle Paul. It's a very familiar testimony to many of us. And I want to say before we get into his testimony, that his testimony is different than ours. Ours is different from his. Yours is different from mine. All of our testimonies are different and unique. But if you are saved there will be three things that your testimony will have. Paul had it in his testimony. I have it in mine. And you should have all three of these things in your testimony if there has indeed been a time in your life when you have been born again and received Jesus Christ to live in your heart. First of all, the first component of your testimony will simply be what your life was like before you met Christ. The second component will be how you met Christ. And the third component will be, what is your life like now? So if we were going to clarify that and and, and reduce the words of those three headings, it would simply be this. Here's a little outline for giving your testimony. Before, how, and now. Say that with me. Before, how, and now. Say it again by yourself with a little gusto. Ready? Before, how, and now. Now, let's think about the Apostle Paul's testimony. Now, you know that before he was saved, his name was Saul. Then after he got saved, he started being called Paul. I'm going to just refer to him today as Paul the whole way, so I won't be going back and forth. But the Apostle Paul, in Acts chapter 9, that's when he was saved. On the Damascus Road, he gave his heart to Christ, and he received Christ's life to live in him. But in Acts chapter 22... And in Acts chapter 26, we read where Paul 
shared his testimony with other people. He talked about what his life was like before he met Christ, how he met Christ, and the difference that Jesus made in his life. Now, in Acts chapter 26, we find the most thorough description of Paul's pre-Christ life, his before Christ life. He was living in the B.C., in the before Christ, and he tells us about it. Look in verse number 4, Acts 26, verse 4. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of the religion, I lived a Pharisee. Verse 9, indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And so Paul there has described what his life was like before he met Jesus Christ. Now, to those of you listening to this message today live and those joining us by streaming or later listening on the radio, you may not be saved yet. There may never have been a time when you received Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And so as I describe some of the things that Paul had going on in his life, you're going to listen to this and you're going to say, well, I have those things going on in my life. You're describing me perfectly. Others here today or others listening who are already saved, as we describe and think about what was Paul's life like before he got saved, you're going to say, well, you know what? That's, it. That's what my life was like. Maybe not in each instance, because remember, our testimonies are unique to us. But some of these descriptions, you're going to be able to say, well, you know, I can relate to Paul. My life was like that before I met Christ. Let me give you three things that characterize Paul, Paul's pre-Christ life. First of all, Paul had religion without a relationship. He had religion without a relationship. We read that he was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the most dedicated of the Jewish people. They believed the Old Testament. They loved God. They kept all the traditions that had been passed down from their parents and from their grandparents. And so he was very devout, keeping the law, doing everything just by the letter of the law. And I think there are a lot of people who are like that. They love God. They believe in God. They reverence God. But they don't have a relationship with God. For them, it is all about religion. It's all about being a member of a church. It's all about, if they've grown up in another denomination, being confirmed. It's all about praying the Our uh, Father prayer, if they've come from another denomination, or even in our denomination, maybe they were baptized. But it's all about religion and, and trying to, to keep the Ten Commandments and keep the Golden Rule and be good to people. And yet, in the midst of all that religion and all those rituals, there's no real relationship with Jesus Christ. It's interesting in John chapter 17 and verse 3, Jesus gives us a definition of eternal life. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So to be saved is not to be dedicated to your religion, whether that's Whatever that might be, to be saved is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The second thing that Paul had in his before Christ life, in his B.C. life, he had anger in his heart instead of love. 
We just read about that. He had anger instead of love. He's going to these synagogues. He's finding people who are not Christians. He's persecuting them. He's consenting to their death. His heart is filled with anger. Now, let me say this about anger. Anger is an emotion that all of us have from time to time. Even after we've been saved, sometimes we still get angry. All the Christians said amen to that, right? Still happens sometimes. So as Christians, we get angry. But as Christians, we can't live angry. And one of the ways that you can know whether or not your faith is real is to ask yourself this question. Do I occasionally get angry and then feel badly about it? Or is my whole life characterized by a life of anger and hostility and combativeness? Just being mad. Because somebody who's been saved can't live like that. The Bible says that when a person is born again, the love of God comes to indwell our hearts. And so, yes, we still sometimes get angry, but we don't live angry. And yet, before we met Christ, maybe we did live angry. We were always angry. That was Paul's case. And then for Paul, and I think it's true for many others, and that is he had a misguided passion. A misguided passion. He's going around persecuting all these Christians. Keep in mind, as a devout Jew who believed the Old Testament, who believed that the Messiah would one day come and liberate the Jewish people from Roman oppression, when Paul looked at the life of Jesus, here's a man who's suffering, he's being beaten, he's crucified, he's killed, he's buried. Paul's thinking to himself, there's no way that's the Messiah because the Messiah didn't come to suffer, the Messiah came to conquer. He didn't understand that those Old Testament references to the conquering Messiah are talking about Jesus' second coming to earth when he will free the world from all problems. But on his first coming, he did come to suffer. He came to pay for our sins. And so he had misguided passion. And so many people, I think, Before they meet Christ, they have that misguided passion. It's different from Paul's. They're not out persecuting Christians or trying to stop the church. But I think in the day in which we live, that misguided passion sometimes come out in a pursuit of fame, fortune, and fun. I mean, that's what a lot of people are looking for. They just... That they just That's what their life's all about, making a name for themselves, being known, making as much money as they can, having as much fun as they can. That describes a lot of people before they get saved. It certainly described the Apostle Paul. So that was his before Christ life. Now, how did he meet Christ? Well, if you'll turn to Acts chapter 22, in this passage, he gives us a lengthy record of his conversion experience on the Damascus Road. As Paul tells us how he got saved. There were two things about his salvation experience that are true for all of us. If you've been saved, these two things are true for you. First of all, there has to have been divine initiative. We could call it divine intervention. In other words, God is always the one who takes the initiative in our salvation. None of us get saved by ourselves. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So our salvation always begins with God taking the initiative, God convicting us of our sins, God making us miserable in our unsaved condition, God convicting us something's not right, and God drawing us to Jesus so we could truly be saved. Now, in Paul's case, God took the initiative, bright light, voice from heaven, he's blinded, here's Ananias, and he's told how to be saved. But you Look back on your salvation. I'll guarantee you, you're going to see divine initiative. Maybe a pastor, maybe a parent, maybe a friend, 
Maybe it was during vacation Bible school. But God, through His Holy Spirit, maybe through one of those instruments, but God spoke to you. God always initiates salvation. And He convicted you of your need for Jesus Christ. But not only is there divine initiative and divine intervention, there's also the human response. You have to respond. You have to do something with what God has spoken to your heart. And that's what Paul did. After God had convicted him of his need for Christ, he prayed, he called on the name of the Lord, and he asked for salvation. And that is when he was saved. And so we have to respond. It's not enough just to be convicted. We have to do something. There's always divine initiative in the human response. And so as you think about your testimony, you should see both of those things. And then the now. We have to talk about what has Christ done for us now? What difference has Jesus made in our lives? This is a whole sermon by itself. But let me just mention three things that you should be able to say is true of you if you are truly saved. And if these things are not true of you, you at least have to question your salvation. Number one, somebody who is truly saved has peace in his or her heart. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Let's say that together. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And so when a person trusts Christ to save him, the war with heaven is over. You see, before you trust Christ, standing between you and a holy God is sin. But after you repent of those sins, confess those sins, ask God to forgive you, and trust Christ to do that, those sins are gone. So now there's nothing between you and God. So now there's peace in your heart. And Paul had that after he got saved. It's a mark of a Christian. We have peace. We know that we're saved. And the second thing that a Christian has is, is I'm going to just use the word obedience. We read after Paul was saved, the first thing he did was he got baptized. Second thing he did was he started hanging around Christians And the third thing he did, he started preaching the gospel. Those were the things God had wanted him and told him to do. So after we've been saved, we find in our hearts a desire to obey God. Now, I want to be very careful here. We don't obey God perfectly. We don't. Sometimes our peace is not as strong as, it's not perfect, it's not always as strong as we wish it were. And sometimes our obedience is not It's it's not perfect. I mean, we're still sinful human beings. But the point I'm making is, if a person has been truly saved, in that person's heart, there is a desire to go God's way. And a saved person should be able to look at his or her life and should be able to say, no, I'm not perfect. Sometimes I stumble. Many times I fail. But the overall direction of my life is Godward. I'm trying to live my life the right way. At least I have a desire to obey God. And then the third characteristic of the difference Jesus makes and how he changes our lives is that we have purpose in life. After Paul got saved, he had purpose. He devoted the rest of his life to telling other people about Jesus. I fear today that so many people's lives have no real purpose. They're just kind of bouncing around out there you know, kind of just doing different things. But after a person has been saved, it greatly simplifies and clarifies the purpose for our lives. You say, John, what is our purpose? Our purpose is to know Christ as well as we can, to get as close to the person of Jesus Christ as we can possibly get. Our purpose is to share Christ's love with as many people as we can. 
to take the Great Commission seriously, to devote our lives to sharing Christ with everybody we can. And then our purpose is to try our best, and we're not perfect, but to try our best to honor Christ in every area of our lives. And so that's what your life is like after you get saved. You have peace, you have a desire to obey God, and you have a simplified and a clarified purpose, and it's all about the person of Jesus Christ. Now, you still listen? Say amen. Now, as you think about your testimony, and I'm going to be encouraging you in just a moment to flesh your, to put your testimony on paper, to write your testimony out. These are the three categories that your testimony needs before Christ, how you met Christ, and what your life is like now. What difference has Jesus Christ made in your life? Yesterday morning I was home and I had just finished having part of my quiet time, and I was thinking about this sermon, and it was like the Lord put on my heart. He had done it earlier in the week. You know, John, what you need to do, you're going to be asking them to share their testimony with the church. What you should do is write out your testimony, and at the end of the sermon tomorrow morning, just to kind of give them a flavor of what your testimony is, you should just read it uh, to, the, to the congregation. That way... They'll, they'll know, you know, at least what yours is. Now, remember what I said at the beginning. My testimony's not like Paul's. Paul's isn't like mine. Mine's not going to be exactly like yours. Yours is not going to be exactly like mine. But I just want to give you a flavor of my testimony. Now, the good news is, this is my testimony. This is as honest as it can be. The bad news for you as a listener today, my testimony is three pages long. Now, how's that? It's going to take me a couple of minutes to read it. So turn the person next to you and say, get comfortable. Just tell them right now, get comfortable. Because John's going to read us his testimony. And I want to read this to you just so you'll know. I'm thankful for my testimony. And I want to just uh, read this. I said in the first service that I wanted to read the whole testimony and not cry one bit. I want to be a man when I read the tough, you know. And I never got out of the first paragraph before I started crying. But I think I'm toughed up between services a little bit. And so I think I'll be able to get through it. But this is my testimony. And I want to just share it with you today. First of all, let me say that I know I'm saved. I, <laughs> I have repented of my sins. I've asked Jesus to save me. And I've trusted him to do it. My heart is filled with peace as a result. To the best of my understanding, I was saved when I was seven years old. Our church in Tennessee was having a revival. And one night when I got home from church, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. As I got older, though, I began having doubts about my salvation. My doubts were caused by the fact that I could not remember all the specific details of my salvation experience. Our childhood memories, after all, seemed to be sketchy. Nonetheless, this became a real problem for me. I tried everything I knew to gain the assurance of my salvation. I prayed and prayed for Jesus to save me. I so badly wanted to pray a perfect prayer, one that he would accept. I had no real peace in my heart. I came to see that God doesn't save us based on the quality of our prayer. Instead, our salvation is based on Jesus' death on the cross. On Tuesday afternoon, April the 27th, 2004, my dad and I were discussing a sermon he was planning on preaching. 
His sermon was about the thief on the cross who got saved right before he died. The main emphasis of the sermon was that the thief came to Jesus as a sinner. He had nothing at all to offer Jesus. As my dad was discussing his sermon with me, I began to get convicted. I began to see that I had nothing to offer Jesus either. All I could do was to come to him as a sinner seeking forgiveness and salvation. And so I did. I shared with my dad what God was placing on my heart. And we got down on our knees in his office. And I came to Jesus as a sinner asking for his forgiveness and salvation. I not only asked Jesus to save me, I trusted him to do it. And I still trust him with all my heart. I still think I was saved when I was seven, but maybe I wasn't saved until I was an adult. But the timing of my salvation is no longer an issue with me. I no longer look to my experience for assurance. I'm not trusting my experience. I'm trusting Jesus. I'm not trusting my prayer. I'm trusting His blood. My faith is in Jesus. And my heart is at peace. In fact, I have perfect peace. Something I never thought I would have. Trusting Jesus has in every way changed my life for the better. Now that's my testimony. And well, that's my testimony. And our congregation here in Pasadena was kind enough to let me share that with them a few weeks ago. And you've been kind enough today to listen and hear it yourself. And I just took a moment there to share what my life was like before I met Christ, how I met Christ, how I came to know for sure that Jesus Christ was living in my heart, and what my life has been like since, what it's like now for me to know for sure that I'm saved. And so I hope that by my sharing my testimony today that that has in some way blessed and encouraged you. But I want us to think just for a moment about your testimony. And I just want to ask you, do you know for sure that there's been a time in your life when you have asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and to make you a Christian? One of the things I shared with our congregation on that day that I shared my own testimony, I said, you know, I really believe there are probably people in our church today who love God with all their hearts and yet they don't have a clear testimony. They don't know for sure that they're saved. And so I'm praying today that some of, of, of you would uh, establish a testimony that you would get saved. And on that particular Sunday, many did. But I'm praying the same thing for those listening by radio today, that if you have never established a testimony, if you've never received Christ, that today would be the, the how part. Today would be the day that you come to know Christ personally. And then I think there are probably others listening today who what you need to do is to clarify your testimony. You need to make sure that Jesus Christ is living in your heart. It's hard to share with others what Jesus means to you if you're not sure that he's living in your heart. And so I want to lead you in a prayer right now. If you need to establish your testimony or if you just need to clarify your testimony, just pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, I need to be saved. And I ask you now to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. And if you were praying that to clarify your testimony, just say this. Say, Lord, maybe I was already saved before today. Maybe not. But God, either way, I'm saved now. I have asked you to save me. I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart. 
Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be. In your name I pray. Amen. And friend, if you have prayed that prayer now, either to establish or to make sure or to clarify your testimony, you now are saved and you have a testimony. Today has become the day of your salvation. I would encourage you to write your testimony out, share it with others, and God's going to do some great things in your life. One thing that you could do that would be a real encouragement to me and to our ministry is that you could visit our website at peacebybelieving.org. That's peacebybelieving.org. You'll find uh, archived sermons that you can listen to. You'll find booklets that you can read on a wide array of topics. You'll also find a place where you can contact us and where you can share with us your testimony or how this program has been a blessing to you. We received an email not long ago from a man in Michigan and he listens to our program every Sunday morning on his way to work. He can't go to church because of his work schedule, but he listens to Peace by Believing. And when we read that, it was such an encouragement to us. And so we always love to hear from our listeners. We'd love to hear from you this week. God bless you.